Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelley Pash, your business specialist and ecosystem builder for Kansas Main Street, working through the economic vitality point, and I will be your host today. However, we do have the incomparable Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems hosted by Network Kansas. Don has worked in the field of community economic development throughout North America for more than 40 years with a deepening focus on entrepreneur-led economic development. So today, we are talking about entrepreneurs as community solutions. Hey, Don. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Hi, Shelly. <laughs> Glad to be with you today. It's been a while. Looking forward to our conversation. I know. The paper was good. And I was going through it, so I'm not going to do a whole lot of color commentary at all because this is you. This is going to be incredible. So we'll just start off with in some of the questions that we came up with was in E2's paper, Entrepreneurs as Community Solutions, you address the importance of community building as one of the four development buckets within any community's development game plan. So first, if you would describe the four development buckets. And second, Don, if you would drill into the history and the importance of community building as an entrepreneurial development priority. You bet, Shelley. This has been a really interesting journey for us because we've always kind of just focused on how do you work with entrepreneurs? How do you build entrepreneurial ecosystems? And in our more recent field work in Nebraska with the Nebraska Community Foundation, with E3 Energizing Entrepreneurial Ecosystems Initiative, and our work with the Ford Family Foundation out in Oregon with the Growing Rural Oregon Initiative, both of those organizations, the Ford Family Foundation and the Nebraska Community Foundation, have been engaged in community building. I'll talk a bit more about that. And so we formally have added that to our framework. And this really helps our communities because community building is so important and it's also important to entrepreneurs. So the four buckets, obviously, first and foremost, it's that ground game. How do we work with entrepreneurs? Reach out to them, listen to them, build relationships, network them to resources. And in turn, based on that engagement with the entrepreneurs we're working with, what are the strengths and weaknesses in our entrepreneurial ecosystem? Maybe we don't have the right capital mixed or we need mentors or some other thing because that's what our entrepreneurs are telling us. So that entrepreneur-driven ecosystem building, community building, and then the fourth bucket is just a recognition that communities struggle to find the capacity to engage in their own development, funding, staffing, programming. And so we formally added that into the architecture of both our GROW project in Oregon and our E3 project in Nebraska. And our communities are really, that makes sense to them. They go, okay, these things are all interconnected. So we talk about development priorities in all four of those buckets. To your second question, community building, let me just kind of describe what we mean by that, because that may not be obvious to folks, but it really speaks to quality of life placemaking, both essential goods and services like having a grocery store or a health clinic, those kinds of things, 
but also the desired needs and wants. That could include if you've got a lot of commuters or working families, high quality early childhood education, child care, parks and recreation, appropriate entertainment, a really good cafe, a great brew pub or wine bar, those kinds of things that really contribute to the quality of life in the community. And of course, this is important for entrepreneurs, their families, their employees, their families that they want to live in a great community that has a vibrant Main Street, for example, that offers all of those kinds of things. When you go down into the downtown, you can have a great experience. And so this is an important piece. And then as we thought more, that kind of led us to this idea of entrepreneurs' <laughs> solutions. So we looked at communities that were creating solutions in these spaces. Lo and behold, there was this kind of collaboration of for-profit, non-profit, governmental, entrepreneurial behavior that we're creating these solutions around community building. They're definitely, I mean, and it's a self-help thing. You can't look for that, the person that's coming on the white horse and saving your community. You have to do it yourself. You have to have those stars aligned in your community and make sure that everybody is accountable and responsible for it, for sure. Well, and it's not just an add-on. Oh, we want to have a nice quality of life place. It's the idea that when you energize entrepreneurial talent in our communities, you're energizing talent that can also help you with community building. And I think that's been the big takeaway. It's probably one of the biggest insights that we've gained in our work in both Oregon and Nebraska over the last 18 months is these are connected. And that's why we thought, oh, we should generate a thought piece, maybe do a podcast on this topic. And I love that. I do. And oftentimes it can come out as a domino effect. You start talking about it a little bit more and then people start doing things and then other people want to get involved. I've seen that happen in communities where And this is on a design aspect of Main Street, where people start working on the facade of their building, or they received a grant from the local Main Street program. And they were super jazzed about doing this. And then another person did it and another. And I remember, and I think we've talked about it before, at one point, the local community that I worked in, we had about five projects going on. And there was a gentleman that came out, he got out his ladder, and he started kind of chipping away the paint that was up there and started just revitalizing a little bit more and rehabbing the front of his building. And one of our board members that happened to be a business owner at the time walked over and was like, Joe, what are you doing? He was like, I don't know. He goes, but I felt like I needed to do something because there were five or six other facade programs going on. And it's the same in the community solutions and the vibrancy that happens in your community. So, yeah, it's a good domino effect and to get everybody on the same page for sure. Well, and there's a pride. I mean, when you're improving your community, you have a better park. You've added to your school system. You, I mean, have built a wonderful community child care center. That just sends the message that this is a great community and there's opportunity here. And I think it inspires folks to do better, just like the story you shared. Absolutely. So in your paper that we will be sharing with our audience as part of this podcast. You talk about three kinds of entrepreneurs or ventures, and I love this part very much. So share what you mean by three kinds of community ventures. And I agree. (laughs) I I think this is a point that you and I, this drives me crazy. 
<laughs> because we have these kind of silos that if you're a small business development center and a lot of my friends in that field just hate this, you can only work with for-profit businesses. What we know is that every community is composed of three kinds of ventures, and we use that term intentionally. So you've got for-profit businesses, obviously a no-brainer. They're part of the entrepreneurial game plan. But upwards to 20% of your economy, if you measure that in employees, are with nonprofit organizations, from your development corporation to maybe your hospital, plays a huge role in our communities. And then, of course, governmental agencies and enterprises. And oftentimes we go, well, why would we want to support them? And it's like, well, first of all, they're really important. They probably (laughs) account for, in rural America, a third of your economy. And it's more than just city government and your school system, although those are foundational and important. In our work in Klamath County in South Central Oregon, this is part of the Cascades. They have Crater Lake National Park. They have National Wildlife Refuges. They have state parks. They have national forests. And in their work with entrepreneurs, they're going, most of our assets, most of our destinations for their magnetic destination tourism strategy are these governmental enterprises. And so why shouldn't we help the national park figure out how it can overcome its staffing shortages so that it can offer more programming that enhances the visitor's desire to come to the park? So you just don't marvel at that amazing landscape, but you actually have interpreters and you have guided tours and you have those kinds of things. And so We just got to keep in mind that we should be working with all three of those sectors. And when it comes to community solutions, typically this is a partnership that involves all three of those players. I agree 100 percent for sure. So, yeah, when you do have those parks and things like that and give them the experience, not saying that they're going to shuffle up a tree, but (laughs) do some sort of having that imagination and innovation that can happen and the experience of working with national parks or in a business or nonprofits, but yes. So did I see, have you added a fourth venture category or did I see that? Yeah, this drives my editors crazy because (laughs) continue to learn. Yes. And as we work with communities, they just generate that insight. And this is kind of a hybrid venture. Community ventures are really very common. They've been around a long time. We used to call them co-ops. They're enterprises in that they have to generate their revenue to pay their salaries and their expenses and all of that. They generate income from selling stuff, but they're either owned by their members or by the community. And as you think about it, I'm sure you've run across this with Main Street. More and more in particularly small rural communities, but also in urban neighborhoods where we have food deserts, healthcare deserts, we maybe lack certain amenities. These community ventures have become really important. And Red Cloud, Nebraska, one of my favorite communities, I got to celebrate. They have been working for years to redevelop the Potter Block down on the bricks and Main Street, Red Cloud. This will make you happy. And they are ready to break ground on restoring two historic buildings that anchor that block that will That's become awesome. the Garber Boutique Hotel. Oh, that's fantastic. A $6 million project in a community of 900. And so this will be a great asset. But you think about it, that's a community project. There's going to be investors. There's a nonprofit involved. 
But we see this with cafes in Portland, Oregon, and coffee shops, but groceries, community health clinics. It's just a really good option where you don't quite have the ability for a strict for-profit organization to maybe run that. And it becomes a community venture that makes sure that those essential and desired goods and services are available in the community. We felt it was unique enough that we should add it to our list of four. Good job. <laughs> and we, we is you. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, let's get everybody on board. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yes. And I love hearing about that. And yeah, it just, I mean, the population in that community is certainly going to grow over the period of time. And things like this don't happen overnight. So it's going to boom in their community itself. And it'll certainly benefit from all of the economic benefits that are in that community at the time. Absolutely. I mean, the Garber Hotel, first of all, they were looking at just getting a franchise motel in town, and that would have been a cheaper option. But this speaks to the vision of the community. And you'll love this as a Main Street person that they're going, no, this should be in the downtown where the Opera Center, Opera House is, where the Cather Center is. Most of the historical buildings that are part of the Cather Books are in that area. And they go, plus we got this entire city block that's really struggling. And this would lead to its revitalization. And it's going to become a destination, not only for the thousands of folks who come to Red Cloud because of Pather and her writings, but also if you think about Kansas City, the whole I-70 corridor you're part of, living in Lawrence, Lincoln and Omaha, the Tri-Cities and the I-80 corridor, This is going to be an escape for folks who say, I've got a weekend or I'm a retired couple. I've got midweek. I'm going to go stay in this remarkable boutique hotel and I'm going to take in all of the attractions, the beautiful wine bar, the other amenities in the community. This is going to increase visitation into their downtown, into their community. Certainly will. And it'll be what a great destination and not just in that community, but along the way or along that corridor and stopping in those other small communities. We try to do that and look at our neighboring communities, whether they're in another state or in the next county. So that's fantastic. That's wonderful to hear. That's great. Well, and it really fits with the idea of our friends who are with Destination Boot Camp out of Colorado, this idea of a destination business. But in this case, becoming a destination community or a destination downtown just adds to the vitality and the opportunities of that community. Certainly does. And sometimes I don't think people understand when you can certainly have a destination business. But I know with John Schallert that you had spoke of with Destination Bootcamp, he welcomes the community builders in the community, your chambers, your main streets, your economic developers to make sure that they're all speaking the same language and you can have your community as a destination for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's a neat concept. Every community should adopt it. Yes, for sure. So based on E2's active work across the United States right now, what are the five most common community building issues? If I had a dollar for every (laughs) East and West Coast think tank that's hired to study rural America, this is one of the questions. I had it yesterday with some folks out of Boston. Great people doing good work. The list kind of changes based on community, but there's some universal issues now. Right housing, and I use that term right housing because if you've got working families, you have starter housing and the ability as they have family, if they do have family, to move into larger housing or maybe 55 plus housing. Obviously, retirees are a huge local and national opportunity. So housing is 
no question number one. I think the next two are really in competition with each other, but childcare, particularly high quality early childhood education based childcare is a huge issue now for any family that has children. And in many cases, folks are paying if they have an infant and maybe a toddler, they're paying almost as much for childcare as they are for their mortgage. And so it's a huge issue. And interestingly enough, throughout rural America, I think some of the most innovative solutions are coming from rural communities. Not every community has this issue, but many communities still have broadband issues. They don't have high quality, affordable, reliable broadband. You can't function in today's society and economy without that. So that would clearly be in the top list. And then I think these others really are kind of tied to the community. If it's a community that has lost its hospital and maybe its clinic, access to healthcare and creating a community clinic is really important. So you don't have to go an hour to get your kids shots. Or if you're a senior, you don't have to look at how do I find somebody to take me for my appointments. That's huge. And we're seeing a lot of innovative solutions around healthcare community ventures, particularly if you look at some of the work that Network Kansas is doing with the Kansas Health Foundation, a lot of their deal flow is around community ventures that are supporting pharmacies, eye care, medical clinics, dental services, again, kind of creating a way for those practitioners to get into the rural community, but where the communities may be helping with the building and equipment and also marshalling the market so that those providers will continue to come to the community. Education is universal. Most rural communities have pretty good K-12 school systems. Some have access to community college learning centers, but that's hugely important today. And then you asked me five, but (laughs) you got to put appropriate recreation and entertainment. And that includes having maybe a great brew pub, or I think about O'Neill, Nebraska with handle bins. They make those high-end copper mugs for your favorite drink. Yeah. I mean, these things are heavy. Oh, really? (laughs) It'll hold paper down in a Wyoming windstorm. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) But in doing so, they took historic building on the Highway 20 corridor, and they resurfaced the history of the family that had operated a grocery store and other businesses out of that building. And it's now not only a coffee shop, a brew pub, you can get your mugs so they have a gift store, but it also has a great community gathering space. And that's an illustration of what I call appropriate recreation entertainment, a place where, in this case, different generations can gather, they can have a glass of wine, they can have a beer, eat some food and gather for not only those kind of after work events, but reunions, wedding receptions, those kinds of things. So those would be the ones that are most reoccurring. You may have others that, I mean, as you work with communities, but those are the ones that just keep coming up on our radar screen. When you had talked about the rec and entertainment and putting in those adult play stores <laughs> for after hours and things like that, there are some places too that when you mention those copper mugs and things that they might actually keep them there, put them on the wall. We've seen a few communities that have done that. And I really off the top of my head can't think of what community that was that I've seen recently that they'll put Shelly and then they'll hang it on the wall. And then when you come back in, I'm like, that's pretty cool. Some of the other things when I was reading through on the education side of things, Emporia has this Emporia Imaginarium 
that was just developed in this year, 2022. STEM education, makerspace that focuses on mainly youth, but ages five to some classes are like five to 12, five to seven, six years old to nine years old, eight to 16. And they're working with those 3D printing and sewing and robotics and engineering. And they even have a section for preschool for the toddlers that are one to four years old. And they've got field trips and demonstrations. So it's super cool to see the innovation that happens in the small communities. And I think it's, is it Lenora, Kansas, that has Young Ameritown? I just love that. That's a four to six week, I think. And it's financial literacy and the whole curriculum where they give you basic economics and money management, government, employment, how it works. And the students are their citizens where they go through and they're the mayor and they're the police and the mail carriers, the accountants, and they put them in these real world roles so they can actually experience what it's like to be running a community. So they earn their paychecks, they spend their paychecks, they can do this by purchasing things at the snack store, but also for TV and radio or donations and contributions. So it's a really impressive, which I just think that would be easily, easily just turned over across the United States could just be used and very relatable and rep or no, what's the word I'm looking for? Replicated. <laughs> Replicated. Thank you. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> Duplicated. I stumble yes. with words, so I have I empathy. <laughs> <laughs> it's that whole R and D. Rip off and duplicate as much as you can. So we know that entrepreneurs foster a sense of community among people with common goals and interests. They typically lead from the heart. So share a few examples of how energizing a community's entrepreneurial talent is creating community solutions. Yeah, and we don't have time to go deep, but I want to flag some things that I would encourage our listeners (laughs) to dig deeper into. And I'm going to kind of draw from my own experience, but Hastings, Nebraska, it's a community of about 20,000, great community, but it's had some hard times. And their redevelopment of their downtown, which involves a public-private partnership, nonprofit, governmental, and a really amazing group of investors, developers, trade groups. And their vision is to develop the entirety of every building in downtown, not just the main floor. And as a result, they have created not only a much more active street level presence with businesses that draw traffic, but the upper floors have really been converted into a wide range of housing from very elite condos and penthouse properties for attracting doctors to their hospital to affordable lofts. And again, it's an amazing partnership that's been working for 20 years and has gotten great results. Another community that's close to my heart is Tiny Stewart, Nebraska, up in the Sand Hills. This is a place of about 600 people. Again, they've been at it a long time, started in the 1980s saying, if we don't do something, we're going to lose our K-12 school system. And they began to say, we are going to become experts in housing redevelopment and new housing construction. And as a result, they've used housing. They've coupled that with family and senior appropriate recreation and entertainment. They've done this with local government, nonprofit, and then a healthy dose of now entrepreneurs in the for-profit arena. And 
As a result, this community's population is growing. They've saved their school and it looks great. And their next target is we're going to redevelop Main Street. Hey, you just talked about community ventures. Exactly. (laughs) Look at that. Yes. And it's, I mean, millions and millions of dollars of investment in a community of 600. It's transformative. And then if we go to a very different place, the Ozarks, a local rural public power district that provided electricity and said, gosh, this region doesn't have good broadband. And so an organization like that to say, we are going to double our capitalization, which means double their debt, to create a subsidiary to bring high quality universal broadband, everyone in the Ozarks. It's just an amazing story of, again, a public-private partnership that has said, our communities will not be disadvantaged. Rural people will not be disadvantaged because they don't have broadband. Of course, I couldn't have a podcast without mentioning Ord, the Husk, which is a repurposed movie house on Main Street that has become the center of arts and culture in this community, saying culture is universal. When we engage everyone in our community and experiencing the arts and the humanities, sometime you should go up there. Their accordion festival. Oh, my. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. So I could go on, but we probably have a hundred different stories of entrepreneurs from all three sectors, maybe using that community venture model, making their communities better through this kind of an approach. I had to pick and choose the times I had to hold my tongue. So (laughs) where I'm like, I have this story. I have that story. I have that. Yes, it is super cool. And a lot of them, of course, the majority in Kansas. But I mean, you hear about the stories that you tell me in Nebraska and then other states as well. So some people get it. So that's fantastic. Well, and Main Street is an example of entrepreneurship rebuilding the hearts of our communities. That's the reason why we've been around for more than 40 years. You know what, Don? You've been around doing this work as long as Main Street's been around. So that's pretty impressive. It's a thing, right? It is. (laughs) It's a work of passion. Yes. So as we wrap up this podcast episode, why don't you share the likely players in community solution making? Well, I think it begins with the visionaries, folks in a community who say, we need a better park or we need to reopen our closed pool or we need something like the husk. And in communities that provide agency or the ability for groups of people to come together to vision a solution and then actually act on that is huge. But then I think you, because so much of this involves real estate development in one way or another, you really need to think about who can we engage in our community who are developers, the people who are good at putting these projects together How do we bring investors, not only for-profit investors, but how do we utilize government funds, nonprofit funds to make this happen? And then this is an opportunity for us to re-energize and build out our trades, construction, plumbing, electricians, you name it, that when you begin to redevelop, if you think about all of the money that's gone into housing redevelopment, that's been a boon for the trades in that part of Holt County, because now they have steady work and they can hire people, they can get better at this. It allows us to rebuild that critical part of our business community that maybe had atrophied over time as people retired and businesses closed. If you create deal flow, you're gonna have trades and you can rebuild your trade sector. So those are a few. That's good, it's good stuff. So thank you so much, Don, for being my guest today. 
share how our listeners can learn more about entrepreneurs as community solutions. You bet, Shelly. Well, first of all, folks, go to our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There's a whole set of resources there. There are. <laughs> There's yeah, lots. And we're going to do some upgrades because we've got Ooh. to improve our theme pages. So if you're looking for something like how do you fund ecosystem building or working with growth entrepreneurs, there's going to be a little more organization to help you to get to the right resource more quickly. Obviously, our newsletter, access our podcast, not only the current ones, but past ones. And for this particular episode of the podcast, we're going to share that paper that you and I referenced, Entrepreneurs as Community Solutions, that'll be dropped at the same time. Perfect. So Don, it has been great to have you as a guest. You make me look smarter. You make me smarter just by learning and getting to read this paper and talking with you. So all of our best to you and your efforts to grow a stronger rural America, one community at a time. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Don. You bet. Thanks, Shelly. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. <music>